Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and I've got the absolute pleasure here, Ray Laidlaw and Billy Mitchell of the uh, Lindus Fan story here. Uh, the first track that we played is a very, very rare track, uh, Downtown Faction Blues for a Dying Season, which is uh, the Downtown Faction were kind of an embryonic Lindus Fan. But first of all, uh, Ray and Billy, can you just introduce yourselves? Yeah, my name is Ray Laidlaw. Uh, I'm the I was the drummer in Lindisfarne for thirty odd blah, 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 years, hmm. uh, and I've been friends with Billy since we we're fifteen. Hello, uh, and I'm Billy Mitchell, and uh, and I played guitar and sang with Lindisfarne. We didn't allow singing drummers, so Ray never got the chance to do that. Um, but every now and again, I hear him singing in the bath when we're on tour. <laughs> You've really got a, a great show here, which uh, celebrates the music of Lindisfarne and, and, and tells many of the the stories behind the music. It does. It was something that sort of we stumbled upon, if you like. You know, we've always enjoyed uh, what we do, and we've always enjoyed talking about what we do. And I suppose this show is really just an extension of those sessions in the hotel bar after gigs. You know, when you would reminisce and crack on about remember this festival and that. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff. And we managed to we managed to um, very cleverly, ingeniously combine uh, our love of of chatting and talking about ourselves with the music. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, that one thing I, I do like about this tour is that you really do get out into some of the the smaller towns. You're not just doing the you know the large cities there. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a country boy at heart, and um, I've always been frightened of big cities. So we're quite happy. To come to places like Castleford every now and again. What do you think of that, Jason? <laughs> You're actually playing uh, uh, about 100 yards from where I used to live, so it's even better. <laughs> Good. Well, I hope the Noise Abatement Society doesn't um, apply at your house. No. You'll hear it from 100 yards away, that's for sure. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, So the, the first track we played was at Downtown Faction, and uh, Ray... Were you kind of the drummer in the band, and that was a band that at the time was led by Rod? Yeah, well, it was it, well, it was very shortly after Ray Jackson joined. Yeah. So at that point, there was Simon Cow, myself, Rod Clemenson, Ray Jackson. So four of the what was going to be Cumberland's fun, but we also had a, our guitar player Jeff Sadler, who was still with us then, featured quite uh, heavily on that that track, um, and we we made an album as Downtown Faction, which was never released actually. In fact. Um, and it was snaffled up by Charisma as soon as we they signed us later on uh, to make sure that the, it wasn't released. But um, it's an interesting track. It's, it's, it's basically sort of when we're on the cusp of moving into doing original material, but still with a little bit of the bluesy influence there from what we've been doing for quite a long time. It hasn't actually been commercially released, so it's a little bit of a scoop for The Strange Brew. It certainly is. It's your scoop of the day. <laughs> You've picked 10 tracks to play today, um, which I assume that the bulk of them feature in the, in the Lindisfarne story, where you, you get to kind of celebrate the music of Lindisfarne. And, and the, the next track is, is one of the, the Lindisfarne anthems. I think, you know, Lady Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Lady Eleanor was the first song that um, the band that, that was to become Lindisfarne ever played together as a five-piece. They were still called... Alan Hull and Brethren at the time. And that song was first played uh, in, a, in a place uh, called the Rex Hotel in Whitley Bay way back in about 1969. Yeah, that's Lady Eleanor's story. It's one of the few songs that we've never, ever changed the arrangement from the first day we played it. 
stayed the same. The mandolins, the, the, the harmony, it does really have that timeless appeal. It's a very special song, and I think it's a very special performance as well. You know, it's a when you, when you capture something, some atmosphere on a record, it's, it makes it better than just a good record, you know, it makes it special.
and now another Lindisfarne classic, uh, Meet Me on the Corner. Uh, can you tell me a, a little insight into that period of the band and another huge uh, sing- single for the group? Yeah, well, Rod wrote this one. This, this was actually the first hit, uh, much to Alan's annoyance. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, it started off as just like a, almost like a ragtime guitar tune. Um, and he brought it, I think he had the tune for quite a long time and he also had the title, but he didn't actually write the song until quite a bit later. And it, we first played it live, I think, on a radio program uh, in 1970. Uh, might have been John Peel's show or something like that, and then uh, shoved it into with the shows a bit, you know. And it was, I think we're, we're playing it for about three months before we made made the album, the Fuck on the Time album. It's one of those songs. It's timeless, absolutely timeless. It's anthemic, you know. It basically, you just play the introduction, and everybody knows it, and it's. It's done as good. <laughs> it's done as good instead that song. That string of hits. You, you, there was a period of uh, one or two years when you were one of the biggest bands in the country. Yeah, well, the timing was right. You know, um, basically there was nobody else around like us. It was a, sort of the beginnings of prog rock and glam rock and and, and heavy rock, um, and we were none of those things, and, and a, a little bit of all of them, <laughs> you know, and and a bit of folk rock as well, all, all thrown in. But we, we were doing, there weren't many bands around that were doing just straight ahead songs. We were a songwriting band first and foremost. And um, and I think that we basically arrived at exactly the right time. A bit of a breath of fresh air, really.
So what led to the the group splitting up after you know that that peak of commercial success? Well, from from my point of view, I was I was living in Vancouver at the time, and uh, I'd come home for Christmas yeah. and had a chat with Ray, and and he was you know this was at the time when Fog and the Tyne had been at number one. Uh, Lindisfarne were certainly the the biggest band in in the UK at the time, uh, and he said, um, "How would you feel about?" joining the band to play live gigs. And uh, I, th- I thought, I, he's taking the piss here. Um, and he said, no, no, the thing is that Alan hmm. is having big problems being able to write new material um, because the band are working so hard. You know, they're, they're, they're doing festivals, they're touring everywhere in the world, doing tours um, everywhere, and, and there's no time to write. And you can't eat, Alan couldn't do it in hotel rooms and on the road, he needed he needed his space to, to be able to do it properly. So the plan was for me to join the band and play live. Um, the way the way that the Beach Boys did it, you know, with Wilson. Yeah, um, that was the plan. Mm. So I came back from from Vancouver to 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 do that, but there was a bit of a change of heart uh, in between times, and Alan and Jack had decided to carry on the, the way they wanted to uh, carry on as Lindisfarne and brought three new guys from Newcastle in to be the sort of backing band, if you like. And uh, Ray, Rod and me and Sai decided to form a new group and we called ourselves Jack the Lad. That's what happened there. The, the, at the time, we'd ha- we had had a few problems uh, personally and professionally because basically because we were managed by the record company, which is something you would never do now. Yeah. We should have had somebody looking after our interests a bit, and and consequently, the, we were working ridiculous, ridiculously hard because you know we were dead popular on the radio and everything. We we're always doing something, but and it was it was new to us, and it was really really exciting. And we had that phenomenal success with the Fog and the Tyne record. It was a huge success. The next record was still successful, but not quite as successful. But probably wouldn't have been ever. Mm. But we weren't prepared for that, so we started thinking, "Oh Christ, we've failed here," and started trying to find a reason for it. And then we started, obviously, we turned on each other a bit, you know, trying to mm. pick faults with, you know, maybe if you've done that better or whatever it was. It was a, a, an unpleasant time for a few weeks, but it didn't last, thankfully. It, um, you know, once Jack Willard got up and running and Lindisfarne Mark II got up and running while well, we were going to each other's gigs and everything, and it was it was fab. So, But it was it was pressures of business and inexperience, I think, that's what it was. Mm. And next, uh, we, we go towards the, the late 70s uh, with the... Um the old uh, band back together for Run For Home, another, um, you know, great uh, single by Alan. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, all of these songs you're talking about, you know, they're just as popular now as they were then. Mm. And that was a song that Alan had written when he was living in London after a specific, a a particularly scathing review from one of the music papers for a solo gig he'd done. And he was, he he just thought it was really unfair. It It was a bit malicious, you know. Um, and he went home and he wrote that song and then he put it in the cupboard and forgot about it. And we rediscovered it when we were doing the um, basically the warm-ups for the Back and Forth album. And we found it in his book of songs, persuaded him to play it, realised what a belter it was. Gus Dudgeon heard it and the rest is history. Yeah, what was it like working with Gus? Um, that that album has got, Back and Forth, has got a real commer- commercial appeal, that one. It was fantastic, actually. It was It was equally fantastic and frustrating. I mean, he could be a really irritating man. He, like most, you know, he was so particular and so professional at what he did. 
you know, and talk about nitpicking, you know, it had to be, but you know, the, the proof of it is listening to those tracks. It's, they still sound fantastic, but it was a great experience working with him. Cause you know, he, he, I mean, we talked about this this afternoon, apart from all the Elton John stuff, you know, he, he did space oddity, you know, but he was also, Oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, Jason. Go on then. <laughs> do, um, and I'm sure you do, that he was the, he was the engineer on John Mayall and Eric Clapton's Blues Breakers album. Did you know? I was he. No, I didn't know that actually. Ah, now you know it. Well, that was one of our big faves in that record, you know. So that really, we knew we had the man. Yeah. And it was wonderful to work with. He was very funny, great raconteur, and just just a joy to work with. You know, it was really fantastic. <laughs> when that came out and the the band had had just got back together, it was astonishing. I mean. I don't think anybody believed that the band was capable of, of such a, a brilliant pop record, you know. And that, again, was largely due to, to Gus's production, but Alan's writing and the way the band was playing as well. And obviously the band had got themselves back into a situation where they liked working with each other. Um, and the, the proof of the pudding is, is in that track. It's, it's fantastic and still sounds brilliant on the radio. It's still as full and good as it ever was. Soon, discover. 
1978 where we're zapping back into the first era of the band uh, 90, from 1972 and we have Poor Old Island which I think is one of Alan's track. Why Why did you pick uh, this song? We picked this one because it doesn't get played very often. Yeah, uh, It's from the Dingley Dell album which we are very very proud of. Um, it, was, it was our third album. It was the most ambitious record we'd made um, by a long way. And Poor Old Island is a great song. It's about It was about the troubles, but it didn't take sides. It was basically saying, you know, you're all suffering. Mm. And it's really not you. Well, you, it's in the words, but it's it's a beautifully put together song. And um, and I think it it's another whole classic, if you like. It's written that there was issues around the, the mix of Dingley Dell. Is that, is that something that actually sort of happened? It was a bit bass light. I'm not quite sure, looking back on it now, what the reason for that was. I mean, uh, but it, it was a bit based like the whole, when we listened to it, the finished mix, it didn't quite have the bottom end we felt it needed overall, over the whole thing. So I don't think, I don't think much we remixed it as much as just basically remastered it and put a bit more bottom on the whole thing. I think that's what we did. Mm. I can't remember what it sounded like before, but it sounds great now. I think you've been cast by a curse But I don't want you to die I can see all the lies There's nothing there that's new But there's still no need to make blind children bleed Even if what you say is true And meanwhile in the aisles of the churches with style they're singing their songs to the Lord And the preacher is coughing that for failure on earth Heaven will be your reward For old island, tortured by past And tarnished by future's curse Set 
going back to uh, back and forth and uh, Marshall Riley's army again the range and different styles that Alan had as a songwriter it was it's so impressive to hear yeah absolutely well you know this is obviously a political song about the Jarrah March and Alan being a true socialist um, wrote um, a lot of political stuff quite rightly and uh, this is one of the best and it's a, it's an anthem it's a, it's a call to arms and uh, Ray and I still do it now and again, this song, and I still love it. Yeah, play it, Marshall Riley's Army. Alan, Alan used to get quite uh, upset if people called it a hunger march. He said it was never a hunger march, it was a march for jobs. Absolutely. That's what it was about. And that's one of the great things about Lindisfarne, such a, s- a strong connection to the North East. Yeah, well, you know, we like it. <laughs> <laughs> we like yes. it, yeah, and that's why we still live here. Um, and it's, it's, I don't... It is isn't, but I think it's just people. We like people, you know, and and most most people are all right. You know what I mean? Most most people are good. You get a few bad apples, but generally speaking, wherever you go, not just in this country, in the world, um, you find that the people are great. But it just so happens there's more great people in the northeast. Where we live. They took a trip The man who made the ships Searching for some kind Of salvation With head held high And dignified The townsfolk and the passers-by Held them in some kind of admiration March on Marshal Riley's army Marching for your right You've surely earned them March on Marshal Riley's army The lessons that you've taught us Who has learned them Soldiers in the front line Of the struggle for the right to work God give me these hands Just to be idle This infinite Christian wisdom Like Peter when the cock crew Had denied them March Marshal Riley's army Marching for your rights You've surely earned them 
Now we go back to um, the debut Lindisfarne album, Nicely Out of Tune, from what is a truly special song of Alan's. Billy, understand you and Ray have directed a uh, play of Alan's uh, songs, of which Clear White Light is the title track? That's exactly right, yeah. Um, it's a play that we we did last year uh, at Live Theatre in Newcastle, uh, and it's 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 been on the drawing board for... Well, about eight years trying to find a right vehicle for a lot of Alan's uh, writings. Um, and we, well, not we, but, you know, somebody found the right vehicle and asked us to be the musical directors and actually take part in the play. Um, and it's about uh, a psychiatric hospital in Newcastle where Alan worked as, as, an, as a nurse uh, before he was a, a full-time musician. Um, and it's about a night shift in a men's ward uh, in a psychiatric hospital and a young trainee nurse, and it's her first night on night shift. Uh, the play's called Clear White Light, and it's, um, oh, uh, like I say, based on Alan's writing, but on Alan's thoughts, um, also on his influence that, uh, that, that he had after reading Edgar Allan Poe. What is it, Ray? What's, what do you think we could say about Clear White Light? Um, it's a commentary on the state of the, nas- uh, the National Health Service at the moment. It's also a, an equally strong commentary on the state of mental health provision. Those two are connected. But it's also funny. Uh, it uses the songs as part of the narrative. They're not just stuck in because, you know, it's 10 minutes. We haven't had a song. The songs tell the story as much as, as the, the narrative does. Um, but it's also, as Billy said, it's got this dollop of gothic horror in there. Uh, and because it takes part, uh, all takes place over one night, and it's a bit spooky in this big old gothic pile of a hospital, things start turning a bit peculiar around about the interval, and by the end, it's extremely odd. It was in- incredibly popular. It was actually sold out. We did it for a month, and it was sold out before we opened for the opening night. Um, so so popular, in fact, that they're bringing it back this year. We're doing it again in uh, September, October. And. You know, going back to the original recording of that, the for me the opening vocals such a, a brilliant harmony blend. Well, that uh, was Simon Cow. Yeah, that that was all initiated by Simon. Ah. I mean, Simon was a, a proper musician. You know, he could actually read dots and stuff as well. He had a, a fantastic ear for the sweet and sour harmony that became uh, the trademark of Lindisfarne, really. And Sai arranged all those vocals and um, told everybody which notes they had to sing, and off they went. And it really worked, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, the, the song didn't have that opening when Alan brought it along. You know, that was that was Sai's idea. And as, as Billy said, that was that was one of Sai's many forties, you know, arranging those harmonies. Well, I was speaking with John Anthony, who produced that yeah. track, well, the whole album, recently. And he, and he felt it had a sort of a, a shaman-ick sort of feel to the end of it. He thought that the outro was very primitive sort of sounding and, you know, like... Hypno- hypnotic. Into trances, yeah. Yeah, into trances and hypno- hypnotism type stuff. Which sort of fitted with the, with the idea of the clear white light as well. Sure. Sort of it, you know. So, and, and uh, you know, that was our sort of like juvenile attempts to create that sort of a feel at the end. But I think it worked quite well. It was when we thought we were going to change the world in the 70s. Do you not remember? <laughs> Do you believe the clear white Light is going to guide 
Billy, how does it feel following in Alan's footsteps? Was is that you know, difficult given you know how how much of a, a legend Alan was? Uh, well, I didn't actually follow in Alan's footsteps because I think he was a size nine and I was <laughs> a size seven. <laughs> no, th- that would have been an impossible task. Mm. My job in 1996 was just to um, sing the songs as best I could, uh, do the harmonies, and play a bit of guitar, and make sure that the band continued to exist as as a as a live 
working band um, that, that was to continue to make some new songs, not not just rely on all of the old material all the time. Yeah, to try and fill Alan's boots was uh, impossible. That that wasn't that wasn't the job really. Billy was the only person who could have done that job. Was not you know he wasn't a new boy. We'd known him since we were very young. Him and Alan were very good pals, you know. So it was uh, it was really uh, an obvious choice, but the only choice. Billy, yeah. uh, you joined the group, uh, started making some new recordings, and uh, I think this is one of is this one of your tracks, uh, Born at the Right Time. Yes, it is. It's the first of of, of my writings that uh, that the band recorded. So I was uh, well pleased with it. Yeah, and we thought we thought that that track uh, sort of summed up the way all of us felt that we were born at the right time. We've had the best of it all, you know. We had the Beatles, we had the Stones, you know. Before that, we had Cliff and the Shads. We had Tony Blair as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, musically and and well, politically, yeah, almost every way. We feel that we were born at the right time. Young man's hopes are dashed to hell. It's hard to earn a dime. They're kicking their heels, revving their wheels, searching for better times. Me, I'm kicking into my prime, because I was born at the right time. Man's thoughts are in the past, their future holds no store. Their lives are left in tatters, fighting someone else's war. I wasn't party to that crime, cause I was born at the right time. Now I'm living on the coastline, I got up from the breadline. Now I'm drinking the good wine, go fishing in the summertime, sleep all day if I have a mind. Cause I was born at the right time Yes, I was born at the right time Sage. While there are songs still to be sung, new words to grace the page. A better age I'll never find, cause I was born at the right time. And now I'm living on the coastline, I got up from the breadline. Now I'm drinking the good wine, go fishing in the summertime. Sleep all day if I have a mind, cause I was born at the right time. And so while wishing that we'll all see better days My secret feeling is I'm happy in my ways And in a smile comes on me thinking of the past But I won't sigh for days gone by Now is where I'm at
fishing in the summertime Sleep all day if I have a mind Cause I was born at the right time And now I'm sleeping on a clothesline I got up from the bed line Now I'm drinking a good wine Go fishing in the summertime Sleep all day if I have a mind Cause I was born at the right time I was born at the right time The next song is uh, uh, one of Alan's solo tracks, uh, Statues and, and Liberties, and that's the title track of his final album, at which he um, sadly passed away before he completed. Um, why did you uh, pick this particular track? Well, um, it's a brilliant album, um, and it's so sad that Alan never heard it finished because he was so up about the whole thing. Um, I worked on the demos with him. I had a studio at the time. And I helped him out, sort the demos out. And I knew there was a great bunch of songs, you know, and it was obviously going to be good. And I saw him two or three times during the recording of it, uh, socially. And he was so high and so excited about what was going to happen, you know, about this record. And I think every now and then, you know, I went through like a purple patch where he just couldn't help himself. And, you know, in a matter of a month or so, there'd be four or five great songs would come out. And this was one of those those periods and I love it. I love, you know, I mean, me and Billy are both big Hully fans. You know, I mean, we, we, we love every, just about everything he did. But that record in particular, I think it's, it shows a sign, you know, he hadn't lost it. He was nearly, 50, well, he was 50 years old, but he was still pointing the finger at the same people about, you know, the things that really upset him, you know, privilege, inequality, those sorts of things. And that's what that song's about. And there's two or three other tracks on that album about the same thing. So I think it's great that he went down guns blazing, personally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not those guys on the statues, you know, that um, that did it for us. It's the little guys who don't get statues. They're the ones who made it work. Mm. Yeah.
street Get some ways Don't believe their stupid bigotry Don't believe their lies Put on your uniform You gotta fight to be free While majors and generals talk about statues and liberties And they got you on the Final track is um, a Lindisfarne track from uh, your era, Billy. But this is a, also a song which I think was was it written by Rod that actually had a, a, a new lease of life of, a few years later because it, there was a, there was also a, a solo version by a, a different artist that that got into the charts. Uh, yeah, I think this um, you might be referring to. Oh, yeah, <laughs> on to right for doing wrong. I am. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I thought this was uh, a great piece of writing by Rod. Beautifully written. I think Rod and Nigel Stonia maybe have uh, wrote it together. But it sums up a lot of people's feelings about relationships. And uh, I thought it was a great arrangement and I loved singing it. And um, I think it's a nice version on that album. I I love the song. Yeah. And Rod wrote some fantastic songs um, in the last for the last couple of albums um, in the life of the band, um, and this uh, this is certainly one of them. Before we uh, we go out, we can't do right for for doing wrong. So the Lindisfarne Story Show starts, I think, on the 9th of March in Barnsley and then goes across the country and finishes, of course, uh, towards the northeast in Durham on the 14th of April and everywhere. So everywhere in between. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah, I think we've got, uh, I don't know, nigh enough 30, 30 dates to do. And we'll be looking forward to every one of them. Ray and I have been doing this show. This is the fourth episode, if you like. And we've called this one uh, Chapter 4, A Twist in the Tale. Um, because obviously there has been <laughs> some twists in the tale uh, since we started doing it. Out The band, as far as we were concerned, ended in 2003. 
And now we're in, what, 2019 are we now, Ray? Mm -hmm. I think we are. And lots of things have happened in the 16 years that, <laughs> since that band that we were in. And we'll be telling you all about it in the show. The music's still here. The music's still here, stronger than ever in some ways, you know. Um, people just love the songs, you know. And, and mm. Billy and I do quite a lot of other things apart from this and work in various guises and different shows, you know, not as, as Linda's fond story, but, you know, as individuals. And every way we do, everywhere we do it, people want to hear Linda's fond songs because this, the whole ethos of the band was about songwriting. That's what it was about. Our heroes were songwriters. And our heroes were bands where the first job was to play the song. It wasn't a show off. It wasn't, you know, prima donna this and, you know, virtuoso guitar players, although everybody in the band could play. We had to play as a team, as an ensemble. That's what we always wanted. And that sort of thing is seems, seems valued, you know, which is, which is great. People still value the work the band did. And we speak to them night after night at the shows, you know, after the shows. And I think the music has a special place in people's hearts. And um, as long as we've got the breath, we'll carry on doing it. <gasps> <laughs> now, that's brilliant to hear. And, um, you know, the, the songs speak for themselves. And uh, if, if this is a, a tiny taste of the show, I, I can't wait to see you guys. And I'm sure that many, many more people can't wait to see you, you both on tour. So um, thank you so much, Ray. And thank you so much, Billy. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Cheers. Thank you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. If I seem kind of blue to you It's just cause I'm not getting through to you And I'll do anything you want me to Just so we can get along And if I should have a mind to say What is it makes you want to be this way Could be today's just not my lucky day And I can't do right for doing wrong I've told you what you mean told you what you've been to me I wish we could be where we both belong but I can't do right for doing wrong I say too little or I say too much I see no recognition in your eyes I try to it with a tender touch, but I see too late the chances pass me by. Sometimes when I don't have much time to stay, I'll make a move and watch you turn away. I'll hesitate when I should come on strong. Do right for doing wrong I 
such But I see too late The chance has passed me by We could get to where we want to be With just a little faith and honesty Instead of drifting where we don't belong But I can't do right for doing wrong Can't do right for doing wrong Can't do right for doing wrong Can't do right for Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's been almost 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.